a hundred years ago, on the 11th day of the 11th month, at 11 a.m. Paris time, the armistice took effect. It had to be prolonged three times, and it was actually not until 1919, on the 28th of June, that the peace treaty of Versailles was signed, and that then came into effect the year after, on the 10th of January, 1920. Peace wasn't easy to come about. And today, like many, many thousands of people throughout the world and throughout the United Kingdom, we are remembering those who fought and died in the past in the First and Second World Wars and our conflicts, and also those who continue to fight today and suffer as a result of war today. And so this morning, we've had opportunities to have acts of remembrance, of laying of wreaths, of, of standing in silence, of praying, of remembering the fact that people have fought and given their lives to give us an opportunity to live in freedom. It's really important as well that whenever we do have these moments in the midst of worship to give thanks to God and to remember what has happened before us and those who have fought and died, that we, we seriously think about how can we avoid, how, how can we do our utmost to avoid such destruction and devastation happening again? In the First World War, between civilian and military casualties throughout all nations, 40, there were 40 million people. About half of those were killed and about half of them were injured. If you were an Allied soldier going to war in the First World War, there was a more than 50% chance that you would be either killed or wounded. H.G. Wells, the author, in reflecting on the devastation of the First World War, coined it the war to end all wars. But perhaps the greatest tragedy of the First World War is that it actually paved the way for an even more destructive conflict that happened within 30 years. So I think it's really important for us as human beings to ask how, in God's name, can we do our utmost to make sure that we avoid circumstances of war? The reasons given for, by historians for the First World War and Second World War, there are quite a few of them, but the ones that I think are the really primary reasons are to do with nationalism and imperialism. Imperialism, which was the desire for nations to conquer or to take control of other lands that were rich in natural resources. And nationalism, which was that desire politically and militarily to, to have dominance over other nations. We still see the same things happening today. But if we reflect on the reasons for the First and Second World War and many, many other conflicts are human greed and human pride. The desire to have more and the desire to have dominance over other people. They're still the primary reasons why many conflicts happen today. Over the last few hundred years, we've tried to reimagine ourselves as people who are 
rational beings. Philosophical thought over the last number of hundred years has really focused on, I suppose, trying to paint ourselves in a different light. And that different light is that we are rational, reasonable creatures. No, in fact, rational, reasonable beings that are able to think our way out of all problems. That is the main philosophical drive of the last number of hundred years of human thought, that we can think our way out of any problem. And the reality is that God has made us to be rational creatures, creatures that can reason, but we are much more than rational creatures. We are we are creatures who are made in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're much more than just beings who can solve problems. We are here to show the world what God is like. But the reality is that we have willingly stepped out of the presence of God, stepped away from the will of God. We have fallen from the grace of living in the presence of God. And so what has happened in that is that we have all the various desires and appetites that we as human beings have been given, and, and those are good appetites given to us by God, we have twisted and turned around and corrupted, and it's those things that drive us into places of conflict and places of destructive living. And I think we're gradually, as a human race, beginning to rediscover and understand again that the things to lead to conflict are so often not to do with rational choice. They're to do with something much deeper. They're to do with the appetites and the desires that are in us and that can sometimes take us in the wrong direction. See, the thing is, God has made us to have appetites and to have desires and to have passions. We are passionate people. If you doubt that we're passionate people, just reflect on a moment ago when we were hearing the bands marching down the road. If any nation is passionate, it's Northern Ireland. The Brazilians may think they've got that down pat, but I would challenge that. I think if you scratch beneath the surface, you'll find few nations on earth that are as passionate as Northern Ireland. And our history tells us about that. And you know, passion is a great thing because God has made us passionate people. We shouldn't try to suppress the passions and the appetites that God has given us. Those appetites have been summarized in three words frequently over the years, money, sex, and power. And it's really important to remember that God has given us those desires. God has given us desires for money, sex, and power. You see, every desire that God has given us, he has also given us a framework in which that desire should be rightfully exercised and fulfilled. So in the, in the context of sexual desire that God has given to us, a desire which is for um, bringing pleasure to somebody else, it's about drawing us closer to someone else, 
and it's also for creating life. And that is to be exercised only in the context of lifelong marriage between one man and one woman in order to bring delight to the other person and to create new life. Money is really good for trading. Money is good for helping the poor and money is good for being generous. And power, when exercised in a godly, humble way, it causes an opportunity, an environment for other people to thrive and for the earth itself to thrive. It's God that has put these desires inside us. But as Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says, the reality is for us as fallen human beings is that these passions, these cravings inside us are like a river. And sometimes we allow, we allow the river to burst its banks. And we know what happens in watching the TV when a river bursts its banks. There is devastation. And so we live in a society where cravings and desires in human hearts are constantly breaking their banks. And so we see that there's all sorts of problems to do with uh, pornography, sexual exploitation, marital infidelity, gambling, fraud, abuse, and violence in our society. Because our greatest problem is ourselves. The, the fundamental problem of, the human, of human beings is the problem of the human heart. The Russian novelist said, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the line separating good and evil doesn't pass through states or classes or political parties. It passes through each and every human heart. But thankfully, God had a plan. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. There's a few things that really sprung out of me when I read those first few verses of Matthew chapter 4. The first is that it was the Spirit of God who led the Son of God into the wilderness. Also as well that Jesus fasted because he knew the temptation was coming. It was a sure thing. But he didn't go looking for the tempter. The tempter came looking for him. And that the temptations of Jesus are actually typical of every human being. Because the first temptation is about the desire to be comforted. The devil said to Jesus, turn these stones into bread. Now after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, you can imagine Jesus was extremely hungry. And the first temptation is to do with that very powerful but basic one. God has given us all the desire to, to be fed and to be comforted and to be stimulated. Whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, God has given us desires to be satisfied and to be stimulated. They're all good desires. But the devil tries to tempt him to use it for his own ends. And even though I imagine Jesus is extremely hungry, and that must have been a very, 
appealing temptation. Jesus said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The second temptation, the devil brings him to a very public place, the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. I imagine there were tens, if not hundreds of people milling around down below. And yet it was a private temptation, but it was one that could be seen if Jesus had decided to step off the top of the temple. It's the desire for the spectacular to be a celebrity. It's the desire to be noticed. And it's an attack on a human being's sense of worth. Do we find our sense of worth in the opinions of other people? Or do we find our sense of worth in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The third temptation takes place on a very high mountain with panoramic views. And the devil says, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. It's a temptation to be in control. The temptation to have power and influence. And it's aimed at our sense of importance. All of these temptations are ones that you and I face on a regular basis, every single human being. But as as Richard Foster has said, I was about to say something that he didn't say, but I've said a couple of weeks ago. If we want to live like Jesus, then we need to live like Jesus. So it's not surprising whenever Jesus was called into a brand new area of ministry, when the Father called him into a new way of ministering, that Jesus began to fast and pray. And I don't think we should think for a moment that this was something that Jesus had never done before. Jesus would have read the scriptures and realized and seen that that David and Elijah and Daniel and Esther and Moses all engaged in fasting and prayer to grow closer to the Father. And Jesus' parents and I'm sure his community, people would have fasted on a regular basis. And the reason for fasting is the voluntary denial of something which is a normal activity or a normal function. Fasting is not about avoiding something which is wrong. Fasting is about seeking voluntarily to go without something which is good for the purpose of drawing closer to our Heavenly Father. Jesus knew the temptation was was a certainty. He knew the tempter would come looking for him as he comes looking for every single one of us. And what was the solution of Jesus? To fast and pray. You maybe wonder, what has fasting and prayer got to do with the remembrance service? Johnny Rowe was reminding us last week that as human beings, our main challenges, our significant challenges in life are not intellectual or technological, but not even political or social. Fundamentally, they're spiritual and moral. 
So if we want to see the world changed, there is only one place ever to start, and that's here. We may feel powerless when it comes to grand uh, world schemes to do with politics and, and social trends, but you and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus Christ, can make a difference. And the place where we start is in our own walk with God the Father. And throughout the Bible and the life of Jesus, we learn that if we want to govern the passions in the human heart, which ultimately, if they go askew, can lead to world wars, then a really important spiritual exercise for us is fasting. Because fasting more than any other spiritual exercises reveals the things that control us. If you want to understand why you make the decisions that you make, don't think that they're rational decisions. The decisions that we make come from a deeper place. And yes, our reasoning and our mind is influenced. But often we're totally aware of what those cravings and desires are. And the spiritual exercise of fasting helps reveal what it is that drives the decisions that we make. That's why Jesus fasted and prayed. He may at that moment, as as the devil tempted him, he may have been physically weaker after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. But I would say he was probably never more spiritually alert than he was at that moment. He was wise to the devil's schemes. He saw them coming. And he answered them all with the truth of God. And with every answer, Jesus became stronger. The Bible tells us that as he went in to the wilderness in Luke's gospel, he went in led by the Spirit. He came out in the power of the Spirit. Because the reality is that temptations are opportunities for us to become more like Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful way to look at temptations. Every time a temptation comes across our path, not only is it something to say no to, it's an opportunity for growth. And if we fast and pray, we will become increasingly aware of the devil's schemes. And we will fall less often. And actually the temptations that once may have looked attractive to us will no longer look attractive to us. There'll be a whole brand new set of temptations. And so when Jesus was standing outside a town of Sychar in John chapter 4, his his disciples have gone to speak to, uh, have gone to get food, and they come back and they find him there talking with a woman. And that short conversation with that woman transforms the woman's life and then transforms the whole town of Sychar. And they come back with food, and knowing that Jesus must be really hungry, they say to him, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they said, could it be that someone's given them something to eat? And Jesus said, 
My food is to do the will of my heavenly Father and to finish, finish his work. At another time in the Gospels, we read about the disciples of John coming to Jesus and saying to him, how come we and the disciples of John the Baptist fast and the Pharisees fast, but your followers don't? And Jesus said, well, you can't expect the, the guests of the bridegroom to fast when he's still with them. But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount about fasting and its motivation. And he says, when you fast, he says to his disciples, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces and show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you will not, it'll not be obvious to others you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's a lot more about fasting. We'll say a bit more over the next two weeks. We're in this series about moving in the rhythms of God's grace, following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. We've looked at living a life of work and rest and simplicity. In these three weeks, we're looking at the whole area of fasting. Jesus doesn't command his followers to fast. You'll not look through the New Testament and find Jesus saying, you must fast. And we should always remember that Jesus fasted because the Holy Spirit guided him to do so. So I would encourage you only to embark upon a fast if you sense the Holy Spirit has given you a nudge to do so. And I would encourage you only to consider doing it if there's no medical underlying reasons that would, a doctor would say, I, I don't advise you to fast. But actually the realities are the last couple of years have been that there's increasing medical evidence that it's really good for us in lots of different ways, particularly to do with diabetes and to do um, with just uh, higher levels of health. But fasting isn't about those things. And as Johnny was saying last week, it's not about increasing our willpower. I think so often, particularly in these last maybe decade or last few hundreds of years, we, we've often thought that Lenten disciplines are about increasing our willpower. But what we heard last week was that's not what it's about at all. It's about growing closer to our Heavenly Father. All of the spiritual exercises, whether simplicity or, or rest or fasting, they're all about drawing closer to our Heavenly Father. That is the reason for all spiritual exercises. And when we seek to do that, our Heavenly Father loves that. The reason is not to impress other people. That's why the main thing Jesus says about fasting really in the New Testament is this. If you fast to impress other people, then that's the only reward you'll get. Other people will think you're great. And if you fast, you didn't, Jesus doesn't say this, but I'm saying this. If you fast because you want to increase your willpower, the only person you'll impress is yourself. 
but that's not what the spiritual disciplines are about. They're about drawing close to God the Father and having a closer walk with him. Because ultimately, fasting is about feasting on God our Heavenly Father. So whether you want to to think and pray about fasting. I just want to encourage you to think and pray about it. And if you sense the Holy Spirit guiding you to do some fasting, then I encourage you to do it. It could be that you may want to consider, if led by the Spirit, to, to say, well, I'm going to fast from eating all snacks between all meals. I'm going to fast from all processed foods. Or I'm going to fast from drinking tea and coffee. It's really entirely up to you. Or it could be that the Lord leads you to to say, I'm going to forgo a meal or two meals in a 24-hour period. And the time that I would have taken to shop and to prepare, not that I do a lot of shopping, by the way, just to better clarify that, but the eating is more my skill. Use that time for prayer. Or perhaps you want to fast from something which is non-food related. Perhaps you want to fast or think about fasting from TV or from social media for a day, for a week, for a month. My, uh, the vicar under whom I served in Hollywood Parish and uh, my mentor, Jimmy Monroe, used to always say, If you want a vision from God, then turn off the television. For each of us, the challenges are different. The key is by the power of the Spirit to reveal the things that control us and actually cause the decisions that we make to come about. And in that place, prayerfully, as we discover what those things are that raise their ugly heads that we say, God, forgive me. And Father, help me to become like Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Let's pray together.